This is the first episode of a podcast about climate change and health policy, which sounds really abstract, even to me, and I'm a climate journalist. My name is Jared Downing, and when I started working on this, I knew, in the abstract, that climate change has a big health component, that global warming is making a lot of people sick, especially poor people and people of color, but I hadn't really seen that play out in the real world for myself. Until I visited this small community clinic in Orange County, California. On this side, we only have seven examiners. This one. So today we have orthopedics. It's called the Lestinac Free Clinic. It provides free medical care for low-income people in Orange County. These are just awards, pets on the back that mean absolutely nothing. That's Ed Gerber, the clinic's director, giving me a tour of the little building. I'm interested in this clinic because its communities are in a wildfire-prone area. California's seasonal wildfires are a real threat, and eventually Ed takes me to a metal shed in the back of the parking lot. It's the wildfire stockpile. Here you got blankets, you got water, cots, uh, flashlights. There's a lot of stuff here. There are bandages and burn kits, triage tents, spare parts for the generators. Somewhere in one of these boxes is body bags. And to Ed, this isn't redundancy or over-preparation. This is the bare minimum. As the years go on, I mean, the chances are we're going to start having to use more and more of it. Seasonal wildfires have always been a thing in California, but they are getting worse year by year because of a changing climate. People lose their homes, Lestinac's patients develop lung problems from all the smoke in the air, and Ed Gerber may not be a climate expert, but he does watch the news. New findings from the United Nations offer a grim assessment of how off-track the world is in combating climate change. He knows greenhouse gases are wrapping around the planet like a heavy blanket. We are not able to stop global warming for at least 30 years. He knows the world is getting hotter. More extreme heat waves, certain parts of the globe become uninhabitable. And he knows it's going to make a lot of people sick. The World Health Organization estimates that between 2030 and 2050, Climate change will kill 250,000 people every year. That's 500 million dead in the coming decades. But a hotter planet is also making people sick right now, today, in clinics like Lestinac. And that's not just wildfires, floods, heat waves. There are also subtle things. Statistical upticks in lung disease and allergies heat-related birth defects, weather-related housing insecurity, affecting poor and vulnerable communities worst of all. These are all happening now, today, and they're going to get a lot worse. The question is, what can we do about it? From Health Affairs, this is The Earth Disease, a podcast about health policy and the climate crisis. And in this series, we'll look at the massive carbon footprint of the healthcare industry. We'll look at hospitals that are paying for people's homes and heating bills to keep them from getting sick in the first place. And what the federal government is and is not doing about what could be the greatest threat to human health of this century. But right now, let's just look at climate change, what it's doing to us, And why a lot of doctors, policymakers, health professionals aren't really thinking about it. At least not according to Dr. Ashish Jha, COVID-19 response coordinator and counselor to President Biden. I would say most of the people in the health system have not seen climate as a health problem. They've seen it largely as a 
energy problem or a social problem of disruption. By the way, at the time of this interview, Dr. Zha was the dean of the Brown School of Public Health. You may have seen him on CNN or CBS talking about COVID-19, but he's also an expert on environmental health, especially climate change. Neither sort of the health effects nor the impact on the healthcare delivery system has gotten much attention. Basically, a lot of health professionals don't see climate change as a health emergency. They tend to think in like much shorter time horizons, right? So they're like, I got sick patients today. I don't know how I can worry about what temperature changes will do to people in 2050. But is it really a health emergency? 250,000 annual deaths is a lot of suffering to pin on two, three degrees of temperature change. So I asked Dr. Jha if that WHO figure is really an accurate estimate, and he says probably not. It's probably going to be a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, maybe it is now, but it will quickly accelerate to much larger numbers uh, when I think about kind of the broader societal impact that climate change is going to end up having. Those 250,000 annual deaths fall into four broad categories. And by the way, the WHO says it corrected for projected economic and healthcare development. But it has four general causes. First, heat exposure for elderly people, that's 38,000 dead per year. Diarrheal disease, as people lose access to clean water, that's 48,000 dead. Insect-borne diseases like malaria and dengue fever, 60,000 dead. And finally, childhood malnutrition is expected to kill 98,000 people per year. But this leaves out a lot of other bad stuff. For example, pandemics. When I say we're entering an age of pandemics, uh, and people say, well, why do you say that? And I lay out the circumstances, but one of them is climate change. Another one is mental health. The CDC warns that extreme heat and erratic weather are correlated to dementia and suicide rates, and that medications for severe mental illnesses like schizophrenia often interfere with temperature regulation and can directly cause hyperthermia just to name a few examples. And of course, there are the disruptions to hospitals themselves. You know, we saw this with Superstorm Sandy in New York. It took major hospital systems offline, uh, partly because the infrastructure wasn't built in a way that was resilient to climate change. You know, a lot of hospitals is a kind of a classic example, but a lot of hospitals have backup generators in the basement, which is an absolutely terrible place for it to be if there is, you know, serious flooding. And they say, well, we're not in a flood zone. And my take is you weren't in a flood zone. And, you know, when I I speak to groups of physicians all the time, and their primary thought is, okay, so does that just mean that, like, you're talking about heat waves? Yeah, sure, I'm talking about heat waves. But we're talking about so much more than heat waves. And as I start laying out all the mechanisms by which clinical practice changes who shows up to the emergency department changes, what they show up with changes. I think physicians start, like I start getting bigger and they start going, oh my God, I hadn't thought through all the ways in which climate change is going to affect the health of my population and the healthcare delivery that I need to perform. The average clinician is only just starting to come to appreciate uh, what it might mean. But we've got to do the work of actually quantifying all of this. It shouldn't be my guesswork or my estimate. The truth is there isn't a good current estimate of the health outcomes of climate change because we don't know how bad things are going to get or even how bad it is right now. 
And that itself is a big problem. There has not been much in the way of uh, federal and, and philanthropic funding for research around climate and health. So there are these fundamentally important basic questions about how many Americans are getting sick or dying every year because of climate-related health effects already. No one has done that quantification. It's not that we don't know that people are getting sick from a warming planet. For example, a 2017 CDC report showed that tick-borne illnesses like Lyme's disease had skyrocketed in New England. And even the Trump administration had to acknowledge that it was probably because of climate change. And of course, they couldn't talk about it as climate change. So they referred to it as from warming that is due to changes in the climate, which I just thought was it's fair. It's true. We know that allergy and asthma rates are increasing. We also know that longer spring times are putting more pollen in the air. One recent study projects the amount of pollen in the air to have doubled between 2000 and 2040. We know that extreme heat and urban heat islands are hurting people. A heat wave in Europe in 2003 killed an estimated 70,000 people. And this year, remember that July heat wave in the Pacific Northwest? British Columbia alone reported 570 heat-related deaths in the space of a week. And yet, there is essentially very little modeling that is done on what happens during summer heat waves and heat island effects and where do people show up and when do they show up to the emergency department. So EDs are constantly surprised by a surge of patients on certain days. They're understaffed for it, leads to massive overcrowding in emergency departments. That's bad for patient care. Basically, we have a lot of evidence, but not many definitive scientific smoking guns, the kind of models and meta-analyses that can push governments and health systems to real action. Dr. Jha says it's not that those smoking guns don't exist. We just haven't tried hard enough to find them. What we have right now is a lot of circumstantial evidence, all of them pointing in one direction. And if you understand how kind of medicine and public health works, when all the circumstantial evidence points in one direction, it's probably a pretty real, pretty sizable fact. And until we quantify this stuff, doctors, administrators, policymakers might just keep ignoring it. There's just a lot of work to do to get a health system functioning in a world where climate change isn't 30 years away, it's here already. for 27 years, so longer than anybody should. Your retirement plan has literally worked till you die. Right. This is back at the Lestinac Free Clinic. At the end of the tour, Ed Gerber and I, both covered in sweat, go back to his air-conditioned office. You can see what I used to do. Oh, you were, you were goofy. Yes. So. On the walls, Gerber has pictures of himself working at Disneyland in a full-body goofy costume for one of his first jobs. So you could say he's been dealing with the extreme heat his entire career. The County of Orange approached us 12 years ago or 10 years ago to prepare for disasters like earthquakes and things like that. They offered free supplies, free equipment. All you had to do was store it. A lot of the stuff in Lestinac's wildfire war room came from this program. Of the 25 clinics, only two took advantage. And that's why I had the equipment that I had here. He doesn't know exactly why there were so few takers, though he suspects they were holding out for a grant, money they could spend how they saw fit. Ironically, Gerber says that when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, Lestinac was one of the only clinics without a shortage of N95 masks because they'd already had a stockpile from this county program. If you believe climate change and you, you think it's going to happen, 
then how could you not prepare for it? How can you say, yes, I believe climate change is real, and then not prepare for that climate change coming? Some of the supplies in the Lestinac stockpile also came from AmeriCares, a health nonprofit. Mariel Fontaine is their emergency preparedness specialist. It's an obstacle to, co- to overcome in all disaster preparedness of trying to convince people to prepare for something when you don't know when it's going to happen or where it's going to happen or how it's going to happen or what it's going to be, but you know it's going to happen. Fontaine works with AmeriCare's Climate Resilient Health Clinics Project, which helps low-income clinics around the country plan, strategize, and gear up for the climate crisis. So, for example, the clinics that we're working with in um, South Texas are dealing with the increased in frequency and intensity of hurricanes, as well as that ice storm that came through that was unexpected. The, some of the clinics that we're working with that are in more urban areas are dealing with what's called urban heat islands. Heat islands are places in cities that trap heat like giant concrete ovens, usually poor areas without much green space. One of the clinics in particular that we're working with in North Carolina is dealing very much with rising sea levels. They're on the coast on a barrier island. Uh, so the rising sea levels and increases in frequency of flooding uh, and saltwater impingement into clean drinking water has been an issue. The Climate Resilient Health Clinics project is still in its pilot stages, and Fontaine says most of the work so far has just been dialoguing with clinics and discussing how climate change is affecting them, which she says is something a lot of them just haven't thought about. I think with climate change, it's such a massive risk that people often don't have something that they can relate it to. It seems like something that's affecting other people or affecting other parts of the world. Even in Mariel Fontaine's purview, natural disasters, the health outcomes could play out in a day or in 50 years. They range from diabetics not being able to get their insulin to lifelong mental illness. They're all over the map, literally. And it's hard for health professionals and policymakers to think of climate change as a unified health crisis. So people think climate change and polar bears, not climate change and asthma. Of course, not everyone is ignoring the climate health crisis. Dr. Ashish Shah and Mariel Fontaine say we're gradually seeing more people like Ed Gerber who are explicitly shoring up for a hotter world. One of these is Dr. Aaron Bernstein of Harvard's School of Public Health. Cities have been forced to respond because it's hard to watch devastation go over your city and stand idly by as if nothing ever happened. Dr. Bernstein is a pediatrician and the interim director of the Center for Climate Health and the Global Environment at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, a.k.a. Harvard Chan Sea Change. You'll hear from him again later in the series. But the first thing I ask him about is real action in the health sector. Not perspective, not theory, just programs launched, money spent. Well, I think it's doing startlingly well, given the amount of resources that have been provided, which is almost zero. You know, cities have heat preparedness plans. We see real um, measures in places like Texas to coordinate hospitals around hurricanes so that if people need to be evacuated, there's a coordinated system of transfer. And Florida's invested huge sums of money in, in lots of infrastructure. Dr. Bernstein says that a lot of people in health policy are terrified of climate change, especially in places where it's been doing real damage. But... So this is all done by running on fumes, right? So the, the, the federal government uh, in the last administration invested essentially nothing in, in climate preparedness. 
forget about climate mitigation. President Biden, of course, has made climate change a key part of his agenda. And Health and Human Services has just launched a brand new climate office, the Office of Climate Change and Health Equity. We'll look at that in another episode. But by and large, the health aspect of climate change is still an afterthought. Seas are rising, ice caps are melting, and oh, by the way, people could get sick. To get the political will behind broader carbon policy, we can't make climate change about saving polar bears and the planet. We have to make it about your day-to-day health, how much your utility bill is going to be, whether or not someone is going to drop dead of a heart attack at an age well before their time. Things that really matter to people right now. I have often said, and I've been really saying for a long time, that health really then becomes the human face of climate change. It's how people will understand climate change. It's how they will feel it. They're not going to feel it in sea level rises, right? Like people will move and, and if you don't have a home near the ocean or the whatever, you don't even care. Health is the angle into people's hearts and minds about why climate change is important. Dr. Bernstein, like Mariel Fontaine, also mentioned polar bears. And myself, when I was a teenager, I street canvassed for Greenpeace, full disclosure, and on the cover of the global warming pamphlet was a cute little polar bear. But weirdly enough, polar bears are the perfect example of why we're not talking about climate change the right way. We talk about it in terms of this distant, exotic animal for most of us that we've all been told to care about, not a real threat that's affecting us right now, doing real damage that is measurable, even if we haven't decided to measure it yet. But in addition to polar bears, I also thought about dinosaurs, specifically Jurassic Park. My dear Dr. Sutton, welcome to Jurassic Park. Not the movie, the novel by Michael Crichton. There's a scene in the book with Dr. Ian Malcolm. He's the Jeff Goldblum character in the movie. People are worried the dinosaurs are going to escape and ruin ecosystems and destroy the environment. And Dr. Malcolm responds that the environment will be fine. The Earth has bounced back before, and it will bounce back again. What we need to worry about is us. And now today, in the real world, we're facing at least 500 million unnecessary deaths, dead humans, in the space of 20 years because of what we're doing to our planet and what we're not doing to protect people. In the book, Michael Crichton puts it like this, quote, Let's be clear. The planet is not in jeopardy. We are in jeopardy. We haven't got the power to destroy the planet or save it. But we might have the power to save ourselves. And, you know, those floods we had when I was in high school, they don't come anymore. You know, that extreme water that we used to have. Anybody that's lived here long enough knows that things are changing and that we have to be prepared for this. Where are we going to be at 10 years from now? Where are we going to be at to be able to deal with the issues that are going to come before us? And we don't know what they are, but we need to be prepared for it, whatever that is.
next time, healthcare is making the problem worse. The sector produces almost 10% of greenhouse gas emissions. We'll look at why and what's being done about it in episode two of The Earth Disease. Thank you.